60% of economists predicted a recession this year as well. So 60% are wrong even on that basis. They underestimate how much Australians love property. They underestimate how the government somehow wants it to keep going. Transaction volumes for the office market are down 77% straight-wide from 2022 to 2023. So how much impact has rising interest rates had on commercial markets in 23? Pretty big impact on those yield decompressions. Like, you know, as I said, uh, the office market's gone back 14.4% and industrial 17%. The reason industrial suffered the most, it was the lowest yielding asset class. Are you finding this podcast enjoyable but looking to enhance your commercial education? Well, we've created an innovative online course that offers comprehensive content. With over 50 lessons available on demand, you can delve deeper into the subject matter. Additionally, you'll gain exclusive access to the valuable online community where you can connect with industry experts. For more information, please visit rethinkcommercialeducation.com.au. G'day, hey Garn, it's Phil Tarrant here. I'm co-host of Inside Commercial Property with Scott O'Neill from Rethink Investing. It's all about, it's the Scott O'Neill show. It's what people are telling me these days. Uh, whenever I jump on the social media and uh, and see snippets from this, it's always Scott. They never include me on it, thankfully. Uh, so uh, uh, I'm happy to report that uh, my knowledge of commercial property is nowhere near that of Scott's. My job is to try and navigate and dissect the issues, the concerns, the markets, the people, the opportunities shaping uh, commercial property in Australia, commercial property investment in Australia, particularly those aspects of commercial property, which isn't the sort of stuff that your superannuation fund is investing in. I've been doing a lot of work on this this recently, looking at the financial services sector in Australia, and it's it's a pretty big sector. Um, the amount of money money that sits inside of superannuation superannuation is huge. Uh, contributions, employee led contributions in a superannuation, continues to grow and evolve, and it keeps going up by 0.5 of a percent every single uh, year until I think it gets to about 12 percent. So there's still a lot of contributions coming in, and all that money gets pulled into superannuation funds, and superannuation funds like investing in commercial assets is what they do, whether it's building new stuff or investing in existing stuff. So that's not really the commercial property we chat about on this particular podcast. What we talk about is the commercial property that non-institutional investors invest in. Uh, price points from sub a million bucks to maybe $20, $30 million um, is, is where the cohort of investors choose to channel their dough uh, when it comes to this podcast. And that's pretty much Scott O'Neill or Rethink Investing's client base. Fair assessment, Scott? Yeah, oh, except for the uh, underdog card you always play. I think uh, you've been good this year, mate. You've had you have more property conversations than anyone in the country and uh, you've carried this podcast. So I've carried it, have I? I say, say, mate, I'll say you're carrying it. It's funny you say that. You've probably had more property conversations and I've probably had more property conversations that are recorded than than most people or anyone else off, in Australia. Offline with property, or you a, a little get bit, over it? a little bit. Well, I, I would say that that buyers, agents, and property strategists have a lot more property conversations because they do it every single day. Um, that the ninety five percent of the property conversations I have are recorded on this podcast. That the the challenge that I have, it's not a bad challenge, by the way, is that because I do this show with you, people think that I actually know a lot more about commercial property than what I do. So if I'm out and about, people want to talk to me about commercial property and I'm, I just sort of shrug my shoulders and go, 
listen to the podcast, right? Like, you know, it's, it's all there. And they, they'll ask my advice and opinion on stuff. And I just can't, I, I, I can't give you my advice on where you should be investing properly. That's not what I do for a living and I'm not qualified to do that. So I say, the can't speak to Rethink Investing. They'll help you out. He'll charge you. Okay. He'll charge you for it and or anyone who's going to give you advice in this regards will charge you for it. But my recommendation would be, if you're serious about investing, whether it's commercial or resi or whatever, pay the right professionals to help you make the right decision. You can do it all yourself. It's cool. A lot of people do that. Um, I don't have the time, bandwidth, inclination to do it myself. But um, if you want good advice, you've got to expect to pay for it. And, you know, you, your, your fees aren't cheap by any means compared to what? You know, when you think of the upside that you get, no doubt you probably have those conversations with with investors all the time going, oh, I've got to pay that much for you to find me a property. You go, well, go do it yourself if you want. Yeah. From what I understand at the moment, there's not a lot of commercial stock around. No, you're right. And um, interesting uh, point you make. Like in the early days, I remember justifying the fee was a lot more, uh, more like it was part of the whole sales pitch. We, we really had to kind of sell it. But um, the buyer's agent space since I started like nine, ten years ago, it's changed so much. Everyone's aware of it. It's like like you use a selling agent to sell a property use a buyer's agent to get access to off-market deals or do the legwork or just open your eyes to a different asset class. So um, I guess we don't really feel like we need to justify the fee. Like the clients don't ever pin us for it. Um, there's obviously a whole bunch that will never reach out because they don't want to deal with us. But um, yeah, I think people are open to paying for services now. And um, you know, it's it's just like having a property personal assistant. They do the legwork. It's going to cost you, you know, circa 2% on a deal. But if they save you more than that, will stop you making a bad deal, then 2% is negligible. Yeah, you, you don't even notice it if, if you find the right property and, yeah, you get the upside benefits of it. And, you know, what is commercial property about? Is it about finding assets that are going to grow in value? Is it finding assets going to give you good cash flow or is it finding assets that give you both? And I think that's one of the, the things that we've we've hopefully dispelled for property investors and maybe why you're getting more people into commercial property investment. This is episode 44. Um you know, when we started this series of conversations, it was pretty much trying to break down these myths that that commercial property is good for for cash flow and yield, not so good for capital growth. And I think, hopefully, we've we've changed a paradigm on that. Yeah, and no, I look the the myth is definitely broken. Like like we mentioned in that, those books, they follow similar growth rates to residential. Like a lot of people don't realise that a lot of the growth is attached to development costs, land pricing. Uh, just local supply and demand ratios. And when you sort of look at it, they're the same things that drive residential. There's obviously owner occupiers in commercial. Um, they grow very well. And, uh, you know, there's there's a large capital cost to build these things. And if you're sitting in, uh, you know, tightly held land areas, the land appreciates. And uh, there's just different growth drivers. And um, obviously, uh, no one really quantified that too well before, but you know that's obviously what we we commissioned some studies into that to look at square meter rates of building, um, and we did it by looking at comparable buildings 20, 30 years ago, and then looked at comparable buildings to now. And, and sometimes it was the same building that's been bought and sold a few times, so you could really quantify the exact square meter rate, and then you just do some compound growth calculations on it, and you get your your net annual. Um, Rental growth or, or property growth, rather. Yeah, and and commercial real estate sort of grows differently. Greenfield sites to to resi, and and most good town planners now will include some sort of industrial base uh, or commercial precinct as part of any town planning thing. It might be shops, it might be offices, it might be industrial. But um, you know, your view on this, you only need to think of you know, for example, 
go and find the most up-to-date or a live satellite image of the freeway from Sydney to Newcastle and you'll find at every single major intersectional interchange there's huge developments taking place on it and you only need to think of um, um, interchanges like you know Tugra and Morissette heading up the coast to Newcastle to do that drive a fair bit there's stuff popping up everywhere like greenfield commercial sites are happening all over the joint is, is this how you think you're going to see um, commercial property grow into the future is all going to be sort of linked with these arterial sort of roads and 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 I guess the urban sprawl is that pretty much the story for commercial property moving forward it's one of them. Um, obviously, there's going to be outliers. Like you think of the service station, service standards in the middle of nowhere, but they've got that road traffic. So you've got things like foot traffic, road traffic. That influences how much rent a tenant will pay because their business is going to do better in those locations. So there is a, a lot more complex factors. Uh, again, build costs. You know, a developer won't build and then lease to a, a tenant unless they're getting enough rent. So then the rent obviously dictates the price as well. So you know, it, it, it all kind of washes into itself. And the local supply demand ratio from the tenants is super important. And um, like we'll go into later in this podcast, talking about uh, the different asset classes, they're all got different um, growth drivers ahead uh, or potential storms ahead as well. So you need to kind of understand where business is going uh, because that will greatly affect the rental growth. Yeah. And, and you know, commercial property is a story of business in Australia, which is intrinsically connected with the economy. Uh, so there's lots of factors that, that shape the direction of commercial property. But let's have a look at 2023. It is December 2023. So um, we get to sort of do a bit of a roundup of, of what's sort of taken place, uh, what's happened for commercial property in Australia. How would you define 2023 if you had to give it like, um, you know, in a sentence or less, 2023 versus 2022 or 2021, what would it be? Surprising. That's just the one word. It was... Surprising in a good way or a bad way? In a good way. Okay. Um, and let's take a backward step. I, I did a bit of Googling this morning of some of the articles that were coming out late 2022, um, early 2023, you know, the whole what's happening with the market price predictions. And looking at some of them, uh, like the Reserve Bank of Australia said 20% drop in the next couple of years. The Combank said 15% falls. Uh, this year. Resi. Resi, this is Resi. And um, Westpac was 16%. We had uh, others like uh, PropTrack saying they're going to fall 11%. Uh, investment bank uh, Jardin said 20 to 25% crash in 2023. And they all predicted less interest rate rises too. Most were kind of peaking at like 3.1. Remember all those numbers, 3.35. Now look at it, it's 4.35%. So you could imagine that if... Uh, these guys knew that the rate was going to go up to 4.35. They would have said 30% crashes, but it defied that. Um, the official figures, this is up to November 30. So they're pretty, they've only come out 12 days ago. So the annual growth rate of Sydney, 10.2%. Melbourne, 3%. Brisbane, 10.7%. Adelaide, 7.6%. Uh, Perth, 13.5%. That was the top one. And uh, Hobart, negative 3%. Darwin, poor old Darwin, they've... Uh, Pretty uh, rough 10 years there to negative 1.5%. And Canberra's basically flat at negative 0.3. So that's about 30% off the average prediction. So that's why it's surprising. And that was off the back of uh, record migrations. Uh, the amount of interest rate kind of just pumped the rental market up, cut supply. So 
just fascinating figures. And yeah, and, it's, and, and you sit there just thinking, how are you supposed to make a decision? Like, you know, you get all the information in the world, you know, your job as a, a property investor or someone who helps property investors is to interpret that to support decision making. And then, <coughs> excuse me, banks coming out saying property's going to drop by 10 plus percent and investment banks coming out, which is sort of sitting there and thinking, what are they up to? Um, 20 plus percent. You go, why would they say that if they didn't believe it? Or do they actually don't believe it and they're doing that for some other purpose? Now, it depends whether or not you're a, you know, a, 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 um, a suspicious journalist, how you choose to frame that. But how can the banks get it that wrong? Because I remember when we started this podcast, which was in the depth of COVID, we were told by the banks to expect property prices to fall by 40%, 30 to 40%, if you remember that. So they got that completely wrong, completely wrong. And then they come out again and they they get these predictions and they get it completely wrong. Well, interestingly, statistically, um, 60% of economists predicted a recession this year as well. So 60% are wrong even on that basis. So, um, look, I don't think there's anything, um, you know, crazy going on. Nothing I'm towards. No. no. But look, my, my sort of take on it as an everyday investor is they underestimate how much Australians love property. They underestimate how the government somehow wants it to keep going for the greater good. Remember, like you want investors to buy properties. You want, you know, like the migration levels, it's for a reason to protect the economy. You know, like we're actually, we're actually in a per capita recession right now. Uh, we're going back 0.2%. Um, if you took those 560 odd thousand people out of the country that came here, which is Canberra or, uh, you know, Gold Coast. It's a pretty big area. So, um, yeah, I just think they underestimate the fact that uh, levers change for property and it's kind of happened forever. And look, there'll be levers that go the other way as well, but the economists can't predict this and they can't factor it in. They're just assuming, you know, the current behaviour will change and then if there's this variable introduced into the equation, that's going to have that effect. It's not linear decisions like that. No, and the government changes the the, the, the rules or the, the, the goalposts all the time. And, and and I think what we should do, Scott, uh, for, for our first podcast of 2024 is actually get an economist into let's pull this apart and break it down. But we only saw this month, you know, the government coming out saying, oh, we need to curb in, we need to curb migration because that's the reason why we have a housing supply problem, right? And you go, okay, sure. Well, let's not get into that at the moment. But economists are sitting there trying to make their forecast based on information they know now. They don't know what's happening. Now, you see a lot of people do this with their portfolio. They go, my portfolio is performing like this. But if this didn't happen, this is what it would be. We just go, well, it doesn't matter, you know, like saying, oh, we'd be in a technical technical recession if we didn't have migration, therefore the country's going backwards. But it's not because we had half a million people come into Australia. So it's nice to say this would have happened if that didn't happen, but it did happen. So what do you do about it, right? And this is what economic forecasters and economists need to deal with. You know, you can sit there and muse about the world and what could have, should have been. I look at my own portfolio and go, well, you know, if it wasn't all sitting in trusts because I need trust structures and therefore I pay a huge amount of land tax, this is the performance by property portfolio. But guess what? It sits in trust structures. Yeah. So it's a cost of doing business. Yeah. You've got to, you, people get caught up with all the what ifs and, and they say, and, and by the way, you're not an everyday investor. Because <laughs> sitting there going, ah, oh, you know, like an everyday investor. You were once upon a time an everyday investor, but you're a very everyday investor that's done well. Yeah. But look, um, 
I, I was bought into those negative articles. Like my first property, I, I, I had the fear of God through me, to, you know, thinking I'm going to lose my whole wealth because the 40% drops were coming out in 2010 and 2011, like, because the GFC was wreaking havoc in the US. So, you know, naturally you think it's going to well, happen. This is his, uh, what's his name? Harry Dent? Is that his name? He yeah. was the 40%. Yeah. He's been saying for 20 years that's going to be 40% drop. Probably, you know what? And when property drops by 40%, he's going to go, I told you so. Yeah. You know, but is it? Like, this is it. You know, we've had a huge seismic challenge, which was COVID. That didn't happen. Then you've got these articles we're talking about, you know, wrapping up 2023, start of the year and early, uh, late part of last year, pretty much going, you know, forecast again. But the growth that we've had is pretty much taken us back to where we started that price decline from. So sort of where the peaks were sort of like 2021, maybe drop down and come back up. So we're back to square. That's right. And, um, and I'll read some stats out for the commercial because uh, similar things have happened. So, uh, like, remember, there's three main asset classes. So, you know, I've gone through all the different reports. Uh, and remember, this is high level. Um, these are your, like, investment-grade assets because that's where the good These reporting. are the, where, where the super funds are investing, as I mentioned. So generally they have lower yields because they buy and sell off each other. They do play the incentive game a little bit more behind the scenes, but that's another story. But um, there are some interesting things that came out of 2023. So number one, yields increased. So let's look at the office market. 20, like quarter three, 2022, the average yield was 5.21%, believe it or not. Um, and it's now up to 5.96. That represents a 14.4% drop on the yield, assuming the rent's the same. So fairly significant. Um, and rents have been, you know, they, they say they've gone up 3%. Statistically, that's what they've gone up. So Prices have dropped about 11% in that case. But, um, you know, I get like there is an interesting stat that 50%, 56% of corporations have now adopted flexible work arrangements for the long term. That number is trending down as well. Like there are more corps coming in to say, you know, come back into the office for productivity and all that stuff. But essentially the office market has structural problems where the vacancy rates are sitting at 14.2% nationwide. It was 14.1% 12 months ago. So not by much, but still the, it's been that high for that long. Like that's, that's, they're horrible numbers. And this is why I wouldn't go into the CBD office market. I've said it a million times. Vacancy rates of that magnitude mean one thing to me as an investor, very little chance for rent growth because your tenants have choice. They've got great choice. They can go and look at 20 options in a day if they want. Um, you know, you won't have that luxury in other asset classes. So to me, there is a prolonged um, low growth coming up for office. But yeah, we'll stick to 2023 for now. Um, but yeah, it's been a bad year for office. And it doesn't look like it's changing in the short term because the numbers are fairly consistent. Even from 12 months ago, not much has changed. So, so just on office market then, at 14 plus percent vacancy rates, there there's, needs to be a considerable amount of growth to absorb the spare capacity there. But they're still building places like we're recording here in North Sydney. I don't know if anyone's had a look at North Sydney recently, you know, with uh, the new Victoria Cross train station. They're building more offices than you've had hot dinners. Like they're just contributing to to wider vacancy. So I sit there just going, okay, is that just going to sit vacant for 10 years while we, we sit around and wait? Or is it going to be like waiting for Godot, right? It never happens. Like, I don't know. Thoughts? Oh, look, they simply poach tenants from older buildings. So the flight to quality is a word they use in this um, industry a lot. There is a flight to quality. 
and if they give them a nice fat incentive, like 40% of their rent off, um, it's going to be tempting to move. So you'll find the older buildings sit dormant and vacant and will have become redundant. And they'll just turn a bit of resi properties. Something like that, or they knock them over and build again, which again, surprisingly happens. Like I've, I'd love to see the feasibility study on, you know, one of these $300 million towers, like how you've got to pay that much for the land, knock it over, redeploy it. Then you've got to pay for all the tenant incentives to get them in and, you know, and then you're still sitting at a fairly low yield. But it must work. It must work. Well, this is the, the, well, maybe it works because, you know, going back to superannuation, you've seen them all sort of clubbing up around trying to remove sort of benchmark performance indexes around, you know, they're deploying Australians' retirement savings into sometimes these investments, which you would sit there thinking, well, why would why would the big super funds be pumping their money into something like that, buying something with 300 million bucks, knocking it down, rebuilding it, in a, and, I, and I'm talking about office tower, something that's going to sit half vacant for 10 years like you sit there and just go where's the dough like who's making money out of that well a lot of people aren't at the moment and that's reflected in the fact that uh, transaction volumes for the office market are down 77 percent straight-wide from 2022 to 2023 so think about that number for a second that's huge that is basically caused from a disparity between what sellers book values are let's say they need 100 million for a tower they're generally about, yeah, they're lucky to get 80 million for that. So there's a 20% variation between rea- like real values and book values. So uh, yeah, we probably need to pull that. We've sort of spoken about it in the past, but this is like, so there'd be a lot of these large towers that have a, a book value and a real value book value, but like a lot of these are leveraged as well. So there'll be finance connected with it. So it needs to be worth this much. So 100 million when really if you're sold, it's only worth 80. There's huge negative equity in these things, right? But they they buoy up the book value through having tenants in there paying a face rent of six seven hundred dollars a square meter. But there's an incentive D tucked away in the back of it, which is probably turning their actual rent to two hundred fifty dollars a square meter. That's you know not really the case, but this is how it works, right? And commercial markets for, for office space for for twenty three. It's obviously challenging. We'll have a chat about what you think it is for 2024. How have the other markets gone in 2022 for industrial? So I guess industrial, retail, and I guess specialty. Yep. So industrial, the average yield in 2022 was uh, 4.6%. So lower. And it's lower for one reason. It's viewed as the safest asset class right now. Like it is it's sharper than any other asset class right now because there is a lot of rental growth. So that has expanded to 5.37% in 2023, um, which represents a 16% drop if the rent was the same. In the last 12 months, though, rent has grown officially as of uh, today, 17%. So pretty significant numbers. And that's coming off the back of a 23% the year before. Like, you know, we're talking strong double-digit growth rates, and it's still got momentum. The, uh, the vacancy rates went from 0.6% in 2022 to 0.8%. So could you get two different asset classes? No. Like that is tighter than, you know, any any developed world country at the moment. So the fact that build costs have gone up, it's harder to replace the values of these um, properties existing. So it's a really good story for rent growth. Um, I'm, I'm quite bullish on the industrial market, as most people are in this industry. We see that there will be... Um, more demand, especially when rates eventually drop, that, that'll be kind of one of the collectors of the large pool of money sitting on the sidelines. But we've seen volumes drop 38% as well 
not as significant because you still can find buyers to to pay the right amount and um at least there's upside in it. So like me as an investor, like I'm not thinking about the last five years, I'm thinking about the next five, 10, 20 years. And industrial is one of those markets where I can see the rent is surging, the cost of building still high. You're buying large freehold asset, assets in good areas. Like it just makes sense. You'd like to park your money up in that asset class. And it's not, it's not a, you know, a dropping tide like, you know, the previous asset class we mentioned. What about retail? Uh, retail's gone from 5.7% net yields in 2022 to 59 so the most stable. And uh, vacancy rates are 6.2% and 6.2%. So retail... Um, so, so by the way, the numbers you're banding around is irrelevant whether or not there's debt or not against the the asset. This is just face numbers, right? This is not about sort of performance, how it would be for you, for individual investor. Yeah, that's right. And look, to talking about debt, um, different sources have different numbers, but they kind of all spit out somewhere around 30% debt level. So it's a fairly low debt world, this. Um, so that's why the face yields are quite low in these asset classes. And, and when I'm talking these yields in the mum and dad region, so you call it the sub 25 mil mark, yields are better. Um, we have some exceptions. Some of the retail centres go for very high yields, but there's more incentives again uh, parked up in, into those major tenant profiles, but, um, retail has been a strong performer this year. Um, you know, retail spending growth is uh, still up, you know, as of September, 5.2% annually. So people are still visiting the supermarket, medical falls into this category too. Then you've got your fast foods and your neighborhood shopping centers, all that stuff. So it's kind of the most stable asset class. It hasn't had the yield decompression as the others. It doesn't have the vacancy rates of, the, um, you know, office world, um, but it also has a better yield than industrial. So it's kind of like, it's, yeah, it's not an in-between one, but it's, it's just a good stable asset class, which uh, varies greatly in practicality because there's so many different types of retail. So how much impact has rising interest rates had on commercial markets in 23? It's had a pretty big impact on those yield decompressions. Like, you know, as I said, uh, the office market's gone back 14.4% and industrial 17%. The reason industrial suffered the most, it was the lowest yielding asset class. So whenever interest rates go up, you're going to find the lower yielding assets impacted the most because it makes no sense to lend into them. The high yielding markets, and that's what Rethink targets, like we buy a lot in Brisbane, Perth, Adelaide, major regional centres, we're minimum six, six and a half percent yield. So, you know, we, we've actually seen those markets completely stable on the yield in most areas. And um, so there's no yield decompression, maybe a little bit. Like I actually did uh, a big spreadsheet where we added up, um, you know, about a thousand of the deals we presented to clients and from 2022 to 2023, and we had a 0.45% yield expansion. So, you know, let's say it was a 0.6% yield, the average back then, now we're showing 6.45. So not a great difference in the yields, but, um, and that's reflected of the different yield starting points. So effectively, it's still attractive to investors, especially when you start thinking long-term that yes, interest rates will drop, we hope. Uh, yes, there's nowhere better to get a 6% yield with growth on top. And um, again, if you're leveraging the money, it's still positively geared if you've got a cash deposit. Yeah, and cash deposits typically need to go into commercial properties, even though with some lending requirements these days, um, uh, there's some lenders doing 103 plus percent of, of, of uh, 
of assets now, right? As long as you can stop the money to pay the the stamp duty, you're in. Yeah, and look, when you do those 100% loans, you don't go for a 6% asset. You go for a 7 8%. So there might be a little bit more risk attached to that, might be more regional, might be an older building. Whatever it is, you've got to then kind of align your strategy with your situation. But I've got a lot of clients who have 50% deposits. They just want the best quality asset they can possibly get, whether it's capital city or major regional center. And uh, they're going to get the upside and growth on it. So, you know, a couple of years' time, you know, they're still massively positively geared. It doesn't really matter if they're getting an extra 10 or 20 grand cash flow. They're there for the good asset. And, and you know, that's why you should be thinking about 10, 20 years in the future. Who's walking around with 50% cash deposits on multi-million dollar assets? Is it just the people you walk past the street every day and you, you just don't know they've got heaps of dough in the bank? A lot of doctors, a lot of dentists, a lot of business owners, um, random guys with businesses in manufacturing. Like, it's quite fascinating. I love my job being able to talk to these guys. Like, a lot of entrepreneur types that have set up um, – you know, online gambling casinos and stuff like that. Like there's, there's literally guys that will come up and say, I've got to buy every quarter because they're just cycling their money from their business to property because it's protecting their wealth. So there's a lot of these guys out there, um, relative, not relatively, but, uh, yeah, there is people doing well in this economy and it's, you know, your, your tech type businesses that have flown and, uh, so this, this is the old, adage of uh, make your money in business and park it in property. And I guess it should be make your money in business and park it in commercial property. Um, so there is money washing around. Like, are they the people you, you most like working with who has got big cash deposits and they need to deploy it and they've got plenty of it and they just don't really are? Or do they ask a lot of questions? Are they hard to work with? Um, no, look, I find they've got a lot of business acumen. So uh, the more knowledge a client has, the better it is. Um, my hardest client is someone who doesn't know what they want. Um, you know, they might have a bit of money, but they haven't really considered commercial. They may have just seen one of our ads online or something like that. Just enough for them to reach out, but they haven't listened to the commercial show. They haven't done a, you know, read books or anything. They're the hard ones because it's just all unknown for them. And I show them an industrial asset in, I don't know, Adelaide. And they're like, what's this? There's, this is the cash flow, And it's, yeah, it's a whole education process. They don't understand what's happening with the rent growth. They don't get that vacancy rates are not terminal problems like um but yeah the, the more educated ones um are the best and uh, anyone that listens to this podcast and we've worked with hundreds of probably thousands to be honest now in the years great clients to work with because they get it and they've got their own opinion so so essentially you're doing all the heavy lifting here recording this podcast to educate people so they can get a better outcome and it's i guess speed to purchase you know um the smoothness of the purchase or the ease of the purchase and then probably the quality of the purchase is better if people come in educated. So yep. so you're saying you're not going to listen to anyone unless they've listened to every – you're not going to work with anyone unless they've listened to all now 44 episodes of uh, in, in, Inside Commercial Property. Oh, it take a long time to catch up. But believe it or not, people do that because they've just come on to the podcast and, the, and then they binge it, um, which is interesting because, like, it's all time stamped. So we would have been saying totally different things three years ago and comparing it to now and, you know, it, it's relatively checked out, you know, to, to a degree. Like, it's it's always interesting when you put predictions into the market, but we've always been quite, uh, I guess, level with things. We're not talking extreme growth. We're not talking about extreme crashes. Um, this year's is a perfect example. Like, even with everything that's happened, I was quite – you know, confident at the start of the year that demand would remain 
quite solid because we're in a low stock environment. If you knock out 30% of the buyers, who cares? There's still the six, you know, the, the other 60, 70% So there's plus. more buyers than sellers. It's always been our problem, you know, like, so the, there is a lot of people on the sidelines right now. So, you know, going into predictions, whenever that third of the market comes back in, that's when you'll see the, I guess, the boom type uh, conditions. Uh, as long as supply doesn't just somehow double overnight. Um, yeah. But putting that into context, and I've, I've asked you this question a couple of times over the year and I guess sort of recapping 2023, I, I don't yet know if I'm satisfied with the answer. So I'm going to ask you again, right? Like when we started this podcast and educating people around property, interest rates were a lot lower than what they were. So uh, the the yields as in positive cash flow from your investment, if you were investing at 30% deposit, so 70% debt, was pretty good. Money in your back pocket, not so good today. Um, and even at 30% deposit, 70% debt, most commercial properties are probably teetering on positive cash flow. So why would you invest in commercial property today if you're not getting the upside or the uplift of money in your back pocket? How long do you have to wait until that fixes itself again so we improve the, the cash flow or the yield side of, of commercial investment? Well, I think you're, you've got to simplify it. You're trying to get a return on your money. Um, so one thing we did again in the book, we were talking about those growth rates, is we compared the net returns of both residential and commercial and the net growth. So over the last 20 years, average growth rates of uh, commercial were around 6% and then add about 5.5-6% net yield. So you're looking at about 11, 11.5% overall return. Residential, you're getting about 7% and you know, add a couple of percent because that's all you're going to get for the net yields. You're looking at sort of at about 8.5-9%. So you are clearing the total returns at least 2% per annum, sometimes 3 over the long term. So you do make more money in this space. That doesn't account for leverage. It doesn't account for maintenance because that would actually chip away from the residential numbers further because uh, obviously commercial tenants will pay for it. But overall, you make more money. There's this mindset that you're going to have to get it all from cash flow. Um, it's still three times better than uh, residential. But again, I'm a big believer of residential. I'm not here to say don't do it. I'm very adamant. You need to start in residential. This is the space where it's lower risk. You can learn how to invest. Like it's, it's like a big believer you should invest in stocks too. Put a thousand bucks and lose money. See, like you got to feel it. You got to, you got to go through that pain and it, it all makes you a better investor. But if you went full hog into commercial without having any investment psyche behind you, it would probably be a bad day unless you get someone to help you. And obviously that's a different story, but even then, you need to be conditioned to be able to get through your first vacancy or your first large maintenance request. Like, it's not all smooth. So residential has its place, but um, to answer your question direct, it's still a lot better cash flow. If you're answering that same question relation to your residential portfolio, instead of breaking even, you're probably horribly negatively geared. So that's, the, I guess, the choice. Yeah, and depends how much sort of spare cash you got around to, to service a residential portfolio. But is it okay? And I've seen what you've done there. You've gone, you get this capital growth and this yield as a percentage. So let's say those percentages together and I get this magical number for commercial property. So obviously slightly subdued capital growth compared to residential property, but higher yield, bundle that together. Then you get uh, capital growth inside of resi. And I think sort of traditionally it grows by about, I don't know, 7.25% a year, whatever it is plus a yield, which is a lot lower, 
not taking into consideration a lot of it gets eroded by by other costs and stuff. So you've glued them together and said commercial is the winner. Like yeah. is is that Scott O'Neill's methodology or is you know is is that a standard way to be looking at it? I know you're proving a point. Yeah. You know and and I'm I'm not going to contest it, but is it okay to do that? Well, it's the only way to do it. You got to look at total return. You know, you don't ignore half the equation and that's sort of what residential do when they quote gross returns that kind of baffles me still like you know oh we've got a i saw someone advertising oh i got a nine percent gross return house but it was a strata complex one bedroom unit in camps the outgoings would have you know halved that yield instantly so you have to look at the true numbers and that's net numbers growth rate compound growth rate and net figures how much cash flow are you really taking home add it together but can you say they're return. both the same are you saying that they're both as equal as each other is capital growth and, and, and gross returns on an equal footing? Oh, there's different ways it handles from a tax point of view. So you will argue that it's better to get your income, I think, annually because that helps with servicing. So look, obviously cash flow is different to capital growth. You've got to refinance or sell to get access to your capital growth. I think that's less attractive. You know, one of the reasons I left residential as a permanent investor in that space because to get your money, I had to create more debt or sell an asset and then you're out of the market and then you've got to get back in and pay taxes, capital well, gains. It's a lot expensive to transact. So what you're saying then is, is it's a good point. It's an important point. Probably one of the more, most important points of the year is that if, you, if you're looking to realise the immediacy of your property investments, commercial will give it to you by way of income. Now, Positive income is you need to pay tax on it. So no matter how you slice and dice it, you're going to have to pay the tax man, right? But in commercial property, because a lot of its upside is yield, yield being cash coming in and positive cash flow, means you can access that money without having to do anything structural. You've got to pay tax on it, but you can you can actually pull it out and use it. Whereas resi, you might get higher capital growth, but that doesn't mean anything. It's a paper profit. You can only realise that money by refinancing it which means you've got more debt and, yes, you're going to get some dough out, but you've increased the, the cost to hold the property, or you sell it, which means you're going to have to pay capital gains, et cetera, et cetera. So um, there's a lot more liquidity for people in commercial property, and that that is probably a core point. Yeah, and um, so they are the same returns, but there's different tax outcomes and different practical outcomes with it. So you'd rather the cash flow because it's an instant return that you can use and potentially redeploy um, there is also one very important factor called depreciation. You can buy properties, you know, we bought a childcare the other day, the guy was clearing after mortgage about 100,000 income, but there was a 268,000 year one, and it was a brand new asset, year one um, depreciation allowance. So not only does he pay no tax on that uh, 100K, there's potentially another 168,000 he can offset other tax potentially. So. They make big differences in the outcome. But yeah, the liquidity is a big problem um, in terms of real life. Can I retire on this asset class? And, you know, unless you're permanently refinancing, which gets very hard when you retire, you have to probably sell, uh, especially the way the banks are going. Um, it, I, I'd argue that the income you get from month to month income is a lot more valuable than capital growth. Yeah, if you're looking not to work, which is, uh, you make a good point. You probably need a really good accountant in place. Um, you know, and this is the issue in, and I've seen it happen beforehand where you get the upside benefits of a really good purchase like that with this depreciation benefit on it. Um, when, when, when you submit your financials to the tax man and they go, oh, hang on a second, because you bought that, you've been able to offset 100% of the 
tax consequence of this property plus other offset other taxation stuff is sometimes it doesn't pass the pub test, right? And it gets really, 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 really hard to orchestrate this appropriately so your tax affairs are in order and you need a really good account when it comes to that sort of stuff. Good problem to have, but, you know, a lot of people will buy commercial assets with a tax outcome in mind. Yeah, it's because you can get, you can have the negatively geared benefits of being, or you, you can be negatively geared, but have the benefits of being positively geared. So the best of both worlds. And again, like if you're buying multiple properties in trust, like there's obviously going to be a, you know, a true up of all the assets in that and all the depreciation. So, you know, again, that's for your accountant to, to decide. But uh, the point is you will get greater depreciation benefits because you can claim on potentially fit outs if you own them, the whole building, uh, you know, with residential, it's a lot more restricted. Yeah, well, I remember I remember having a chat with um, I don't know if you know you know Brad Beer, he's CEO of uh, BMT. Um, okay, Brad, I don't know if you tune into this, you might do. Um, I remember chatting to him. Uh, where was he? I, I can't remember the exact story, but it was at a function when it was. Um, uh, I think it's the budget, some sort of budget function where they outlined the depreciation changes in residential property. He said he fell off his chair, right? Where a lot of the upside benefits investing in resi property around depreciation was eroded, where you couldn't, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but you, the depreciation of existing plant equipment was was gone. It had to be brand new and it was like completely changed. The, that you can still, you know, and I highly recommend if you have any property at all, make sure you've got a depreciation schedule on it because all properties, there's still some element of depreciation, just lost a big, big bit of it, right? Um, and can't speak to Brad, I'm sure he'd be happy me saying that. Um, I think he's the biggest depreciation company in Australia. Um, but it changed it, but it's different in, it's, the rules are different for depreciation in commercial property. Yeah, effectively you can still claim plant and equipment. That's the difference. That's so the big difference. It's it's an extra half. You know, again, I'm not a depreciation expert, like a very like. Yeah, got, you're okay with me plugging Brad then? To use oh, that, no, 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 sorry. <laughs> no, but it's an important point. Like um, a depreciation report is, is vital for commercial property investors because there's likely a better outcome than you would get like for like in, in residential. Yeah. Anyway, so this is... All the complexity. So 2023, so the wash-up is surprising. Surprising. In yeah. a good way. In a good way, like the, the property markets for housing did very well, by and large. And then uh, the commercial markets uh, had a mixed year. But I think it was a less – I think it was more predictable for commercial. You know, if I – if you asked me 12 months ago, I would have definitely said, yeah, cloudy times for office. Um, I knew industrial, the rental market was so strong. So there was always a good story there. It was just depending on how much yield decompression there would be. And I was definitely uh, of the opinion and I've proven because that's sort of what I've purchased personally myself, the retail market would be a lot more steady than people think. Um, and it's it's proven that. And, and I think it's going to be more of the same for 2024. Like if I had to Predict 2024. Give me one word for it. it can't be surprising. Mm, oh, look, I think it's going to be, oh, you've got me on the spot. I, look, I think it's going to be a good year, a good year, but you've got to be really It's going to be consistent? That's probably a better word. Um, consistent in the fact that we're going to have high mortgage costs most of the year. Like everyone's kind of talking about this rate drop. That's not going to happen, you know, early 2024 maybe, you know, at the end, but regardless, the chatter of the rate drop will gain momentum. And remember, people act before the move. Smart investors don't wait for the actual day it happens. That They'll be kind of going, yeah, I can feel it's dropping, so let's go. Um, 
And a lot of people are already going. So the, the volume of buyers per properties is increasing. Stock will remain tight. Uh, we're at horribly low levels and it's going to remain tight for a couple of reasons. Um, the fund managers are all quiet. There's not many people putting money into funds at the moment to get their five, 6% returns. There's some starting to offer seven, which is better. Um, but by and large, um, you know, with higher interest rates, less money flows into syndicates. And, um, but that could be an opportunity. You can buy well, and these syndicates are starting to get some very good deals. I've seen some uh, neighborhood shopping centers in the 100 mil type price point sell at 8% plus. Like that, they're good numbers. So, you know, they're, they're buying very well. And um, we're looking at, you know, doing some syndicates ourselves just due to the timing of the market. I think you can buy very well in 2024. Uh, and then when the rates drop, let's say it's 2025, that'll be one of the biggest years for property uh, all over because that third of the market that's sitting on the sidelines will start deploying their capital. Because remember these volumes, like we're, you know, as Australia-wide, we're down 58% in terms of total sold in 2023 versus 22. And remember, 2021 was about twice the size of 2022. So we're like way down in terms of volume. So there's a lot of people that haven't done much for quite a while. So by nature, there's money building on the sidelines that haven't invested and they'll look for an opportunity to come in. I don't think it'll happen super quick. Um, but yeah, my prediction is 2024 will build up to one of the best markets we'll ever see. And that'll be in two years time if, uh, if my gut feels me right. If you can't, well, you know, you've been often right in the past and uh, uh, you're a proud author or, or co-author of a a very important book around commercial property, which seems to think that you get it right. But this is sort of just musing, thinking about 2024 and, and you know, commercial investing. Um, you spoke about sort of funds management, sort of triggered triggered sort of my attention in relation to what the property funds, what will happen with property funds and REITs, uh, real estate investment trust moving forward. I don't know how up to speed you are on this, but I'll ask the question because if you are, it's giving you a really nice social media snippet. Uh, in the background... Um, and, and I'd like your views on it. Maybe we can get some people in and have a chat around it. The, the role of financial advice or financial advisors inside of commercial real estate investments. Now, uh, financial advisors will give you recommendations on where to be deploying your, your, your super assets, which super funds you should be investing in and why, uh, whether you're, you're self-managed. Um, but in the background, there's this been this thing um, called the Quality of Advice Review, um, which was a, a report commissioned by the government to work out you know, essentially ask the question, how do we get more financial advice in the hands of more Australians so they can make more informed decisions? And we're not giving, I don't, because I'm a journalist, financial advice many needs, which is a couple of guys talking about investing in commercial real estate. You would offer advice as a paid service to people that use you. That's all cool. But the idea of getting more advice in the hands of more Australians, um, financial advisors traditionally have overlooked direct real estate as an investment. Um, and if, if people do have a, a bent towards commercial real estate, it would be through, you know, REITs or, or other mechanisms, maybe syndicated stuff inside of, of real estate. So this whole idea of quality advisory, what they're talking about is is this new sort of breed of advisor called a qualified advisor and allowing banks and super funds against to give advice. Um, and it's a big deal at the moment. Have you got a read on this yet, whether or not there's any consequence to to commercial property investing, do you think we're going to get more advisors considering commercial property as a as an investable asset class for Australians? Look, I think we will, and I've already started seeing it a lot more. And, and the one problem 
with the advisors and as if they just don't know the asset class enough because they get pitched by syndicates and there's some office ones, there's some, you know, medical development ones. Like there's a syndicate for any day of the week, really. And, uh, these are just private syndicated stuff. And then they get obviously kickbacks and stuff like that. So that's where, um, you know, it's a little bit cloudy and I'm not, I'm not up to speed with it, but I do see, um, people recommend syndicates like as a commercial expert, I would never put a dollar into that specific one, but then there's others and you go, oh, right, that makes a lot of sense. So the, the quality variation between syndicate, syndicates is enormous. It's probably like the stock market to be, to a degree, but, you know, rather than getting into a blended, you know, thing of 10 of the top ASX companies, you're dealing with one property and that kind of is a little bit risky. And, um, you know, especially when you've got uh, a syndicated taking large fees out of it and all that kind of stuff. So, Again, it's a space that needs more education um, by the experts as well or the advisors. And, um, you know, but it is a good thing. If you can get into the right uh, syndicate, you can do very well. And, and it's proven. If you look at the results for the last decade, I think they've topped the ASX for uh, most categories in terms of returns because of the great crap capital growth. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a high yield paying stock. So they can be very good. But, uh, like we've discussed here, they are going different directions, the asset classes. So you've got to get into the right, um, even though there's a professional manager managing these schemes, uh, they're going to go very different directions in a hurry. So how do you go about crafting the best commercial property portfolio in 2024 with a view towards direct investments through your super fund, syndicated, you know, listed or unlisted, you know, um, uh, you know, syndicated stocks or whatever it is, how do you go about doing it? I'm going to start with this question. Should you be investing in commercial property in 2024? As long as you can cover the interest rates where they're at on average for the next 12 months. Now, again, like the predictions are so inaccurate. Like again, we're like ComBank thought they, they were going to max out at 3.1%. Um, now we're at 4.35. So even the big guys get this way wrong. But with the data out there, most economists are saying we're at peak or there's one more rate rise to come. And that is a good thing for, you know, for a purchasing point of view. So you are going to get a, a good deal. You know, like I mentioned, we've seen drops in prices in, in the order of about 15% at the top end of town. It's a little bit more resilient in the lower end of town, but uh, that is a good buying opportunity. If you could go into any market in history after it's dropped 15%, it's generally a good result as long as it's not a, a bypass town or a coal mining area that's close to the mine. Like, so I think there'll be really good opportunities to buy well in 2024. The cash flow is not going to be as great. I literally had a chat with a client on the way here and he was saying, oh, it's a marginal deal. I'm making 10 grand out of this. What's the point? And the point is in 2025, there'll be drops. The rents are growing at quite strong rates. So the equation will widen. Instead of getting 20, you might be getting 40 by 2025. So you've got to get in while you can buy well, you know, whether the interest rate cycle out. So, you know, if you're putting cash into the deal, you're still positively geared. It's easy. If you're doing 100% finance, be a bit more careful. Go for the high yielding assets. Um, so it's probably a, a question if you've got the cash, you invest. If you're 100% lending, you need a good quality high yielding asset to justify the purchase. Would you be dabbling 100%? Well, they've always got other assets behind them. So, you know, like, again, like we had Michael who deals with farmers who've got, you know, $10 million plus farms and, um, you know, they, they've got large incomes coming through. They've got other investments. They've got paid off investments too. So, yes, I would be expanding your asset base in 2024. 
because there is going to be a ramp up over the next couple of years. You can just feel it because money has been on the sideline. It will redeploy eventually when the good news stories comes out on the rates. So you want to be in the market prior to that happening. And if you're lucky enough to have millions of dollars invested in that market while it's quiet and then it starts expanding, you know, that you'll get the upside without, uh, you know, without even stressing about it. It will come and, and it's off the back of higher rent growth and cheaper lending coming. So asset to to credit uh, is is key. So how easy it is to get loans or mortgages against commercial property, and I'm already seeing inside of the resi markets these little green shoots of of access is getting a little bit easier. There's now these buffers on um, refinancing, and there's also now buffers on certain. Um, then you can get for new new purchases where rather than getting assessed at a 3% buffer for serviceability, they're down to a percent. A lot of rules and stuff around it. The, the fact that, so, so it's starting to happen and this is going to be a, a key driver that will, I would think, shape, positively shape uh, resident investing moving forward. You've seen the same in commercial. The fact you can get 100% or 100 plus percent finance against um, uh, some commercial asset means that there is a growing access to credit in order to empower property investment. That has to be something which will bode well for property investment moving forward in terms of capital growth into 2024. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so 100% agree. Like It's a game of finance property. So finance is getting easier. It was getting harder this time last year, like significantly harder, and, and yet the market was quite resilient. And I think it's backed up. Like, you know, again, we spoke at the start about economists getting it wrong. But if you look at the trend this year, what the economists are saying for 2024, I'll I'll just read some of them out. Lewis Christopher is predicting this is nationwide home values in 2024, uh, 6 to 8% growth. Joe Masters at Baron Joey, 6.6% growth. Shane Oliver, AMP, 7% growth. Um, Nerida from Ray Ray White, 4%. You've got... uh, Jardin, that were the guys calling the 25% crash in 2023. That was uh, 6.5%. So look there, and there's a couple of uh, that's threes resi. and fours. Yep. So Resi's looking good. And that's, remember, Resi and commercial, they do follow the same suit in terms of the lending environment. Like they are tied to the finance. There's obviously different growth drivers on the rent side of things and that. But uh, by and large, it's looking a lot more positive in 2024 versus 2023. So fast forward 12 months and we're getting together in the middle of December thinking about what the Christmas period is going to be like. What are we going to be talking about, Scott? Next year? Yeah, this time next year. I think we're going to be Give looking. me the themes. Give me three themes. It's going to be all about what's happening with interest rates. The impending drop, um, if we're – and you've got to remember what's the reason for the drop. Is it a recession? Are we going to be talking about some bad news story? Because it doesn't just drop with – you know, sunshines and rainbows. Like there's going to be something out there that will create the next fear. There's always a fear. There's always a cliff. Like what was the last one we had this year? Uh, the fixed rate cliff. Where is it? Yeah, no one no one got hurt from it. Yeah, family um, balance sheets are so strong, most people have absorbed it. Yeah, so there is definitely people hurt, but we're talking the majority. The majority is not hurt, and that's reflected in the statistics of the growth this year. It's been so strong, even in places like Sydney where it's so high priced and so low yielding. It grew double digits this year. Um, and that's when lending capacities dropped by 30, 40%. So it's, it's amazing what's happened. So there'll be another cliff next year. I look forward to hearing what it is, um, but there will be... Mate, uh, maybe I can invent one for you, mate. Is that what you want? What do you want it to be? Start the trend, yeah. You'll get quoted in every newspaper. Because look, negativity sells. Um, we are, that's, that's probably the underlying theme that uh, 
we always deal with investors that, you know, what are we eighth, 10th negative, or, you know, as humans or something like that. So, uh, we like the negativity and that, that will propagate articles. Um, so yeah, I think dropped interest rates, some bad news story, roughly around the economy. Uh, there will be more foreclosures, but at very low percentages still in the resi market. Um, and you'll find the lower value capital cities do well, I think. So the likes of Brisbane, Perth, Adelaide, potentially Hobart will have a rebound as well. So All right. again, there you go. gut feel. Well, we've got 12 episodes next year to work our way through all that, mate. But um, let's kick off the year with an economist. We'll get that sorted out and get someone in that knows what they're talking about that comes that sort of stuff. Uh, plenty of them out there. I'm sure we can track one down that can give us an insight to it all. Um, uh, yes, residential property, but I really want to look at it through the lens of commercial. You don't get a lot of it. It's really undercooked when you get economists talking about commercial property. So I'm sure I'll be able to find one. Um, enjoy the break, mate. Uh, don't know what you're doing, uh, but I hope it's a good one. Uh, you too. Not Thanks. tuning into podcasts, no doubt. Uh, and thanks, everything, uh, Phil. It's been another good year, and thank you for your support through the podcast. So yeah, mate, I do enjoy it. it. It's just not me. It's a big team here that do all the heavy lifting. I get the good bit of the job, which is chatting to you, but a lot happens behind the scenes. So um, big shout out to all of them. And and if you like what we're doing on this, leave leave the reviews. So we do get a kick out of seeing it. And if people want to talk to Scott, you guys are still got a week or so before you shut up shop for a little while. Uh, what's the best way to reach out to you guys? Uh, just rethinkinvesting.com.au or Google Rethink. It's uh, Yeah, there's a few different ways to reach out. Um, if you want to learn about commercial property, we've got Rethink Commercial Education. If you want to loan, talk to the Rethink Financing guys. Um, or if you want to help finding a property, that's uh, the investing crew. Sounds like a one-stop shop. You do have a legal business as well, right? You missed that one out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No one goes to legal first, though, do they? Did you know what I saw, actually, um, uh, just really quickly? One of your team members in your legal business was a finalist for uh, uh, the Women in Law Awards, which is one of our programs. So anyway, yeah. it's funny, on the law, legal side that we do. Uh, anyway, congratulations to her. But uh, that's Scott O'Neill. That's Inside Commercial Property. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. This is uh, Rounding Out. 2023. We'll be back in 2024 for more commercial property. Until then, uh, we'll see you again next time. Until then, bye-bye.